This is a message from the Art Intelligence Agency. Welcome to AI Agents, a program that explores the intersections of innovation and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by a collaboration between the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and the C.F. Fowler Institute at the University of Adelaide. Join our host, Tim Whiffen, in conversation with creatives, academics, and professionals in exploring how human and artificial intelligence can collaborate in divergent ideas for our future. There are many people around the world who interact with bots every day. Some of those bots are known as assistants and go by the name of Siri or Alexa. So plenty of people interact with some form of AI regularly, and we tend to imagine personalities in these lines of code. We refer to these entities as virtual beings, and they range from very simple bots to emulating real relationships. You can have a virtual girlfriend or boyfriend right now, and that works for a small minority. But we are not far from a reality depicted in Hollywood films such as Her or in Blade Runner 2049 where virtual partners can meet more of our social needs. Virtual assistants and chatbots have had seamless implementation into our retail culture or in our use of phones, but where is the technology heading and what implications does it have for human existence? Agent Marcus Endicott is the Editor-in-Chief, Artificial Intelligence and Natural Language Processing at metaguide.com and has worked on projects ranging from books to beings in virtual space. Agent Marcus joins the Art Intelligence Agency to discuss his foundational work on virtual beings and explore some of the deep questions we have about this field. I am joined today at the Art Intelligence Agency by Agent Marcus Endicott. Thank you for speaking with me today. (laughs) No worries. Good day from Byron Bay. Yes, it's good to be joined by uh, an Australian, not too far out of my comfort zone in terms of time zones, which is good. (laughs) Could you start off by telling us a little bit about your virtual beings project? Well, it's kind of a long story that I was a travel writer for 20 years and I got into travel technology consulting. But my last book in 2004, it didn't sell very well. So I got obsessed really with making talking books. So I spent 15 years working on chatbots. And I was two years in India, in Bangalore, 2013 to 2015, working on chatbot projects and exhausted my uh, savings. So I came back to Australia in end of 2015. And that's just when Facebook opened up Messenger to chatbots was early 2016. That just opened the floodgates to this whole chatbot hype cycle that we've been experiencing. So it was at that time that I heard about the Nadia project, which was an Australian government project to create a virtual being. And I got inspired to kind of leapfrog ahead of this, you know, mob of chatbot people and go to embodiment. So I decided because I live in Byron Bay is the headquarters of SAE. And so I decided to study virtual reality to get into embodiment. And that was the beginning of my journey into virtual beings. Wow, that's incredible. And, and your, your, your current project has a, a sustainable 
uh, focus as well? Could you explain? Well, I specialized in sustainable tourism for many, many years. So that's been a focus of mine for a long time. So I hope to use these virtual beings primarily in sustainable education across the board. You know, it's something like an army, you know, a virtual robot, software robots for sustainability. That's the general idea. That's that's amazing. I mean, my, my experience of chatbots obviously has a you know a specific purpose. Usually they're on like retail stores and things. Um, but I assume you're kind of uh, going that a little bit further. How complex does this kind of AI need to be to kind of qualify as like a, a being, let's say? Well, somebody was talking about a degree of beingness to qualify as a virtual being. So with chatbots, you've got the Turing test. So the Turing test is about convincing people, you know, of the believability of, of a chatbot, for instance. But in virtual beings, you have something called the uncanny valley, which is like a visual test of the of believability for virtual beings. Now, combining those two things today is is an art it's not a science so we haven't really achieved unification at the at the cognitive architecture level yet so it's what people are doing is they are tricking people into thinking that these things are beings so it's it's not an objective game it's a it's a subjective game and it's something like a theater of the mind so the theater is in the mind of the consumer or the user and I assume that it, it's still fairly kind of controlled, like these, these virtual beings don't just write into space when no one's interacting with them. It's, they kind of have to be um, initiated. All right. So chatbots are classically, they're not proactive. They're reactive. Mm. So people try to, try to fudge that, try to hack it with what are called gambits. So gambits are, are a proactive device that, that chatbots can be programmed with that today, okay, so there's a whole spectrum of virtual beings. But today what we're seeing is we're seeing virtual influencers and we're seeing virtual streamers like virtual YouTubers. Okay, and these are different kinds of virtual beings. So, so a virtual influencer, it's very often, it's a static social media account. Okay, so they're actually, I call it a social media test because they're actually tricking people into thinking that these virtual beings are real people. So typically these virtual influencers have a very complex backstory that's created by a, a whole team of people, for instance, from a from an advertising agency. Okay, and this is a de facto knowledge base. So this is the intelligence in these static uh, virtual influencers. But then they have very realistic uh, 3D graphical representation. So these static pictures look real. And of course, the way that social media works, they put lots of different ones in lots of different situations. And actually, people can't tell if, if they're real or not real. And they're becoming tremendously popular. Do, do you find that if, if any of them, if it has been a case of any of them kind of being revealed as, I imagine that a, a reference would be people calling them bots, even if that might not accurately des describe them since they, they may yeah, be. There's, you know, a, there's a couple of issues here. And mm. the, the, 
One is the ethical issue because the people have been saying that it's not ethical to trick people. Yeah. You know, and so there's been a lot of talk about should bots be revealed as bots and stuff and stuff like that. Well, how do you, how do you envision, you know, let's say that we become a little bit more comfortable with virtual beings with just accepting that these will be part of our everyday lives. How, how do you envision human beings will, will kind of interact with these virtual beings? Well, the next level up from a virtual influencers is, is, is virtual streamers or virtual mm. YouTubers. Now they don't have this necessarily the same kind of complex backstories that uh, the virtual influencers have, but they're interactive in real time with their audiences. Okay. So what you can imagine in the future is a combination of the two. So a combination of uh, virtual influencers and virtual streamers. So bringing it into real-time interactivity into effect, you know, virtual robots or, or software robots. And we're seeing some things like this because there are companies uh, like Soul Machines and Unique in New Zealand, which are making already these, uh, these virtual robots. You know, you can imagine that Really, they're talking about, you know, white collar jobs are being going to be endangered by these things because they're going to be able to begin replacing people, you know, from from the bottom up, from the most simple to the most complicated. In fact, some people have brought up that the creative jobs are going to be the last bastion, you know, of human supremacy. Interesting. Do you think that that is in the horizon for like a virtual being like a can can we expect the virtual artist i mean a youtube like a streamer is probably in the realm of a creative i guess in in our in, our, in like in the human sense uh, i think we think that people who are on youtube or uh influencers uh tend to be creatives so i've re recently done a, a master degree at sae you know in virtual reality uh on ai in VR. Yeah, so it's it's actually it's very complicated. The short answer is theoretically, yes, but practically, it's like everybody's worried about AI, you know, it's like being mm. dangerous and stuff like that. But it's going to be a long, long, long time before, you know, we get anything close to really human like, or yeah. superior to human. So Anybody who works with AI is not really worried about it. So the problem is like in the news and everything, what people talk about AI, they actually, they don't know anything about AI. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's basically all wrong. It's like 99% of everything that you read in the news about AI is wrong. Well, it's been an interesting series that we've been doing so far on the podcast where we've you know, found some artists who use AI to help them create art or even put them to the task of, of kind of composing some kind of art and uh, just all these different uses of AI that are, aren't like kind of inherently creative. Um, and it's just an interesting case if we take it to the a, a virtual space where really you, you have no limits. People create art in the virtual space too. So, so augmented intelligence is going to come 
a long, long time before, you know, an autonomous mm. artificial intelligence. And you've got to remember in this game, it's all about tricking people. So when people think it's something, it's not necessarily that it is really that they think it's that and maybe that's your goal is to make them think that but it's not always what people think it is because there's something called anthropomorphism and anthropomorphism is like how we treat our cats as human and how we treat our <laughs> boats and cars as humans and mm. that's just like an innate kind of thing that we do is we project this humanity onto mm. these machines but the reality is that in, in the like next hundred years, that it's highly unlikely that we're gonna get anything that's even close to human. Now, the easy part is tricking people into thinking it's human, but that doesn't mean that it's actually human-like at all. Mm, mm. It's interesting that we, you know, we, like you said, you know, there is a kind of um, a general populist fear of AI that, you know, maybe it's not, genuine or you know that it could have dangerous prospects but you know we we like you said we interact with with cars or with animals in ways that um are kind of illusionary right so what's to say that you know having a virtual partner like a virtual girlfriend in my case you know um is kind of any different than than calling my car a she <laughs> is definitely it's very similar kind of thing and actually in terms of practical applications we're already seeing things like that you know like we're portrayed in the movie her mm. you know, that's not a very big leap into into the future but yes that's there if you look at apps like on the app store like on google play and stuff like that there are hundreds and hundreds of virtual girlfriend apps of people who've tried it in different ways and boyfriend apps too, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a great example. Could you, could you pair? I wonder what would happen. What do you think would happen even, you know, especially if they became more advanced in the future, but if you paired these, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend apps, kind of where do they end up? Do you, do you want, it's like there was that example of that AI chat bot that, was flooded with like neo-Nazi stuff and then ended up spouting all this racist. Tay, that was Microsoft Tay. And that's yeah. a problem with self-learning bots when they're released in the wild because mm. they tend to get dumbed down to the lowest common denominator. And that's an issue with making autonomous, you know, virtual beings because they're not really suitable for business. Because mm. in business, you need a very controlled, narrative you know like the systems that are available now the dialogue systems from the big companies like ibm like microsoft like amazon they're they're actually very limited i mean you can buy a pizza you can have a very good narrative to buy a pizza but you can't really discuss philosophy in any meaningful way they're not mm -hmm. they're not really uh, good for that today but yeah. there is a kind of creative process, as you said, in creating that backstory sometimes. So the way that you implement these these bots is is kind of kind of creative, doesn't it? I guess. That's the art, and that is the theater in people's minds. And everybody who's doing something, you know, 
you know, well today is doing it that way. Mm. I'm still kind of wondering what, what would happen if you, if you paired like two virtual beings together, what, what do you, has, has that been done? Did, did, yeah, what do they say to each other? It's been done recently and you can Google it. It's bot battles that uh, a company called Pandora bots, uh, has worked together with, uh, Ari Shapiro, who is with the, University of Southern California Institute for Creative Technologies, which is really at the forefront of this field in many ways. So they connected Mitsuku in 3D embodiment together with uh, whatever the Facebook language model was kind of in the form of a, of a 3D Mark Zuckerberg. And there's all kinds of YouTube videos that you can, you can check them out because they, the newspapers were calling it like a bad date or something, but they talked for like months and months and months, wow. like live streamed for months. And people were calling it like a bad date because they got into this loop where they were trying to say goodbye to each other. And then they would <laughs> say goodbye. And then it would just keep on going for hours and days. And days. <laughs> they couldn't get, couldn't say goodbye to each other. Wow. It was hilarious. It was great. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I want to ask you where you think this will will end up. What 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 do you see as the next kind of chatbot gold rush? <laughs> uh, well, part of my uh, master's degree project is identifying where the uh, bottlenecks are and and the black holes in the process. And you know, we have decent chatbot APIs today. Lots of them. You know, not perfect, but decent. And we have very good 3D models today, you know, and you can think of digital doubles in the movies and stuff. But the problem with digital doubles in movies is it's all asynchronous. It's not real time. You can't interact with those realistic movie digital doubles in real time. It's only it exists in the past. It's asynchronous. So it's not synchronous. And so what I've discovered is, well, what I've learned is that body language is equally as important as natural language. So we have all these great natural language solutions, but we don't have good ways to drive body language with AI right now, and not in ways that can be coordinated with language to actually with natural language to express body language and gestures and all kinds. We're starting to have some like facial behavior. See, because lip synchronization is kind of old school, it's like 2D animation. So now what's happening is this full facial animation, you know, and that is what helps uh, overcome the uncanny valley today but that's driven by speech so these these real-time avatars like in Fortnite and stuff there's a company called speech graphics scottish company i think and that drives this facial behavior with speech but the problem the bottleneck is with chatbots that there's not commercial products today there may be custom solutions but there's not commercial products to drive facial behavior from text and all chatbot APIs are text-based APIs. So there's a disconnect there. And, and so anyway, it's limited to talking heads to get full body, body language 
there are no solutions existing for that today. And what that brings us to is like the cognitive architecture level. So it's like, how does uh, natural language, spoken language, uh, interact with body language, nonverbal language and emotional language? And that is a, just a massive gray area. I mean, it's just an incredible area, not not something I was ever uh, aware of before I caught on to your work. So I, I really appreciate your insight here. Thank you very much for joining me to discuss these fascinating topics, Agent Marcus Endicott. <laughs> All good. You can find more of Marcus's work at meta-guide.com and follow his moderated community on Facebook. Just search for Virtual Beings. There, you can delve deeper into robo-psychology and support important research. Thanks for listening to AI Agents. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and consider giving it a review. Do not forget that you can share this episode with other intelligent people and things, but for now, it is time to close the pod bay doors, Hal.